Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Muller She Wrote Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, my guest is Rachel Bittekoffer. She's a political branding strategist, ad slinger, and polling and targeting expert. Looking forward to what she has to say about the upcoming elections and all the current events. But before we get into it, the Start Me Up podcast is independent, supported by listeners, and it's woman run. A great big thank you to everybody who supports the show. If you enjoy today's podcast, visit Patreon patreon.com slash start me up check out all the tiers i do include a tier with a much shorter intro and no ads you can hear the free shows on tuesdays and thursdays and they're followed up by what's up a show just for patrons where i talk about anything that comes to mind it's a little more personal kind of like my online diary visit patreon.com slash start me up and don't forget you can find start me up on itunes stitcher and wherever podcasts are found now please enjoy my conversation with rachel bittekoffer welcome back to the show rachel well, thanks for having me back, Kim. It's always so great to be here. Yes, you are one of my favorites on Twitter. You're one of my favorite political analysts. And so I'm just going to dive right in. And I want to ask you, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Christopher Boozy, but he runs Bot Sentinel, and I guess he has some internal polling. And he talks about the fact that he's really confident the Democrats are going to win the House. He says he's almost ready to to delete his account if the Democrats lose his house. He's that confident. So I just want to know where you are in this. Well, dang. I mean, I'd love to see the data that he's looking (laughs) at. (laughs) Uh, So here's what what I'll tell you guys about this, okay? Mm -hmm. We started off in a midterm cycle. Midterms favor the out party, and we are not the out party. We are the in party. And we understood that this was going to be a major hurdle to Democrats' efforts in 22. You know, that's why we really wanted to construct a messaging environment focused on Republicans, creating a referendum effect on them. Got a huge assist, though, Mm -hmm. when that row of evisceration memo came out. (laughs) Because I can't stress enough how much that has changed these fundamentals. It's done two things that we can quantify in polling data. One of them is it has closed the enthusiasm gap. Mm -hmm. So we now have... Um, equalized negative partisanship effects going on. Negative partisanship, yeah. again, are those negative, uh, not just fear and hate, but but threat feeling mm-hmm. that people feel in their own partisanship when they think about the opposition party. Mm-hmm. And the out party has a, a negative partisanship advantage because they're watching the in party enact laws and legislation that they don't like and do things with the courts that they don't like and it inflames them. Well, now Democrats have their own negative partisanship and that is that women feel threatened yes. literally with their yeah. lives, right? Yeah. So that's offset that and, and it's also moving the generic ballot and inversed it in fact and, and although we don't really want to look at individual polls too much. Like the aggregate of the generic ballot on 538 has moved from uh, positive t- for Republicans two and a half to positive us three points. So yeah. those two things have changed the fundamentals in this way. It has allowed us to be kind of good, feeling good about getting that Senate majority holding it. Mm-hmm. Maybe the 52 that Democrats would need mm-hmm. to do things like filibuster reform. Right. But um, what it has also done is it has allowed us to compete for a house majority to hold the house majority we need 218 Mm -hmm. and it will be a very i mean it would be cataclysmic (laughs) miraculous to hit 218 but if he's seen some you know frontline data that looks better for that that's great i will tell you that the more candidates 
talk and wedge this row issue mm-hmm. and make it um, you know, emotive and relatable to the electorate, the better we will do in the House. Okay, so now I want to ask you about the race between um, Warnock and Herschel Walker. Recently, we saw that, that it's close, that, that Walker is slightly ahead. Now, I'm wondering if that's taking into account the newly registered Democratic voters. Evidently, there are a lot of them, and so I'm just wondering how that comes into play. Yes. So, I um, mean, this the Warnock and the um, uh, Herschel Walker race in Georgia is going to be played out it's the same as any other race, the Arizona Senate race, the Pennsylvania Senate race, and it comes down to partisanship. So, you know, I know Democrats got really excited early in the spring with um, Walker's many, many right. yeah. missteps being <laughs> properly exploited by by groups, yeah. right? So that makes a big difference, bringing that attention to, to Walker's, you know, foibles. But at the end of the day, what rules the roost in American politics is partisanship. Mm-hmm. And for most voters, 90% of the electorate thereabouts, that party label is going to be the thing hmm. that's going to dictate their vote choice. And so what I would expect to see in all of these Republican races, even the ones with the worst candidates like Walker and Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, is a Republican Party vote share floor. Hmm. And it's probably pretty high, too. Mm -hmm. So I would um, tell people to expect elections that are decided within one or two points in all of these swing states. Wow. So I remember, you know, my first introduction to you, and pardon me if I don't say this 100% accurate, but my first introduction was you talked about the swing, at least the swing voter isn't what it used to be. Um, So can you just talk a little bit more about that now? And since you've, you know, we know who you are now and we're used to your perspective have you changed on that? Do you still feel that way or am I getting it wrong? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you're asking. I'm so, you know, let me just wrap back, back around to this Walker scenario. People okay. are looking at his polling data and it has gone up, right? His vote share yeah. is going up and they're like, what? He's doing everything wrong and saying things and it's coming worse and worse as a record, right? How can he be improving? Well, he's improving because most of the so-called independents mm-hmm. are leaners. They lean left, they mm-hmm. lean right, re- Republican or Democrat, and they vote that way. And once the general election stuff starts to come into play, they tune in because they don't follow politics mm-hmm. at all like you and I. We are total freaks, and everyone <laughs> listening to the show is a civic freak, okay? Not typical American in any way, right. shape, or yeah. form. Those right-leaning um, independents are, are getting reminded through campaign stimuli why they tend to vote for Republicans. And they don't care if that Republican is incompetent or not because they see the Republican candidate as part of, as a as a representative of their tribe yeah. putting forth their tribal initiatives. Wow. So it really doesn't matter to them anymore in the Republican Party about quality, scandal, corruption. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to send Roy Moore in a really credibly accused child molester, serial, serial child molester to the Alabama Senate, you'll be certainly willing to do the same for Herschel Walker. And that's why it's really important for people to understand that most independents, that 30 or 40% you see in a survey, are not swing voters. When Mm -hmm. we talk about swing voters, we're talking about a very small pool people, maybe 10% of each competitive electorate. 
And we're talking about a group of people that are fundamentally misunderstood and misrepresented. On TV, you know, they always seem like uh, when they get the stump reporter interview, well, I don't know, you know, I'm gonna look and I'm gonna look and see what they wanna say and da da da. And they sound like you would, like, really the um, ideal virtue of civic participation, right? Mm -hmm. But that's focus group after focus group makes this clear. That is not who our contemporary swing voter is. Most swing voters, lack passion for politics they have a civic duty like obligation socialized mm -hmm. into them for voting but they don't have the things that make you and i pay attention to politics mm -hmm. and therefore they don't really have hard you know opinions they're very ambiguous about their preferences and they're very um thus very sub subject to, to what i call the status quo stuff, right? So like they vote against the end party usually, and that's because they have a bias against right. the status quo. And in, in American politics, really anywhere, the status quo can always be presented in a way that makes it look like it mostly sucks. So it's, you know, a, 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 in other words, a predictable bias that you can work around. Mm -hmm. The way Republicans have worked around that bias for the last decade is by treating swing bucket um, targets with a different type of advertising regime than what we use under the democratic regime. And that was to win them over by pushing them away from us. So when we think about democratic messaging, the traditional messaging regime that I've been working on reform, we've been trying to get swing voters to vote for us. <laughs> That's an entirely different ad, mm -hmm. an entirely different message. And, um, you know, it's really important for people to understand the reason that that works so well for Republicans is because swing voters are not this ideal of, um, you know, informed citizens who are capable of divorcing themselves from politics and they'll do real research and figure out what's best, right? That's right. not how it works. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a good point. Um, okay, so switching switching gears again. I'm really curious about this. In fact, I was talking to my mom this morning, and I said, I'm going to be talking with Rachel, who she's the one who introduced. She's the one who sent me that an original article about you, about the swing oh, voter. Oh, hi, mom. And <laughs> <laughs> she's like, you need to pay attention to this woman. So, um, you Your know, mom back sounds like a smart <laughs> Maybe, she actually we? very she very much is <laughs> smart. Um, so, you know, there was the whole deal. Claire McCaskill had paid uh, or put money toward her opponent uh, back in the day and it worked. And so now we're seeing a lot of this happening in the races, like, for instance, uh, with Mastriano in Pennsylvania. I guess Democratic money went behind him because he's so extreme. But there's a fear that this is like a really risky thing. So I just wanted, well, I wanted, and my mother wanted to know, you know, what do you think of that? Do you think that it's going to help or hurt the Democrats to invest in these extreme candidates thinking that they're going to win? I can tell you this, in, in a stable, non-collapsing democracy, it's absolutely a bad strategy and something that you do not want to do. That is not our scenario, okay? There is basically no long game unless we win this short game. Yes. So, you know, in, in that regard, anything, so take that Michigan third district, right? Um, Peter Meyer, who was, you know, he lost his primary. He was a Republican that voted for impeachment and then lost his primary to a Trump Republican and Democrats spent to support that opponent. By moving out the incumbent Republican, 
that race was immediately moved from toss up to lean Democrat. Hmm. And when we're looking at a situation where a party must retain power to beat back, um, you know, an extremist movement that's overtaken the other party, we really are talking about an all hands on deck, no stops left uh, strategy. So although I worry a lot about the elevation of these radical candidates, mm -hmm. I understand strategically why that decision was made. Gotcha. Now, who would you say uh, is uh, like the notable polls and races? What candidate stands out to you and why? Now we've got, I'm just going to name a few, feel free to bring up whoever you want. But I mean, I'm looking at like Beto O'Rourke, Marcus Flowers, Mandela, ba Mandela Barnes, uh, Val Demings, Stacey Abrams. Um, and then of course I, I do have Mastriano down just because he's terrifying me. But what what to me those are notable, but I don't know what you would consider notable. So what would you consider notable and why? I'm sorry, we were asking like what what do I consider competitive? Well, just like what races out there do you have your eye on? Like so Marcus Flowers is running against Marjorie Taylor Greene and he's running a certain kind of campaign. So do you think that like somebody like or and the same thing with Fetterman against Oz? Um, you know, the way that Fetterman is running his campaign, and I'd like to hear what your opinion is. I've heard, I mean, mostly good things. Occasionally I hear, <clears throat> excuse me, some critique of the way he's choosing to go about it. But I also hear more that Democrats love Fetterman's style. So like on Fetterman, where do you stand with how he's choosing to, um, his strategy against us? Well, let me put it this way. When Fetterman first announced he was winning, running, I said, this is a once in a you know century candidate for Democrats. <laughs> Lucky them, right? Right, okay. And the Democratic establishment, right? I mean, I'm not that, you know, I don't mean that in a prerogative sense, right. but like the Democratic people who know more than I do, mm -hmm. Do what they fucking did. They tried to recruit Connor Lamb okay? <laughs> and ran him in the primary. Yeah. And I shit you not, they did that to save us, save, quote unquote, save us, yeah. save Pennsylvania Senate from John Fetterman. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> and the proof is in the pudding, man. Fetterman's <laughs> going to make mincemeat Oz. But yeah. here's the difference between him and this candidate in Georgia for Marjorie Taylor Greene that you mentioned. Is that the, 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 what determines a state's competitiveness is the mix of Republicans and Democrats and and, and independents, right? Yes. And, uh, you know, this congressional district down in Georgia is not a competitive right. mix of population. Pennsylvania, all these swing races are, okay? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what Fetterman has done so well is define Oz. And that's mm -hmm. really what we've been lacking in doing. The only really good democratic effort to define a candidate I've ever seen, it, other than this Fetterman effort with Oz. And I don't know if it's come from the Warnock campaign or outside groups, but the effort to define Herschel Walker yeah. as well, up to this point. Those, those were very similar to the Obama team's efforts to define Romney in the spring hmm. and early summer before the general election ever started. Sometimes you're constrained in, in your abilities to do that because of primary dates and rules yeah. on what you can do with money and, and moving from the general election. But in, in general, you really want to define your opponent before they define you, right? <laughs> and uh, I am quite certain that the style of election that is being played in, in Pennsylvania because Fetterman is, that, is running that campaign um, versus someone like Connor Lamb, who I like a quite deal, 
like a, quite a bit, mm-hmm. but who would probably have run a campaign similar to what we're seeing in North Carolina or in Florida, um, I think we would be looking at much closer margins right now. Wow. Interesting. Okay, we have to take a quick break and we will be right back in a sec. Hey, this is Kimberly. Real quick, if you're not already a patron of the show, please check out patreon.com slash startmeup. You'll see all the different tier options. I would really appreciate it if you check them out and become my patron. You'll have my undying gratitude. Thanks so much. Okay, we're back. Um, One of the things I wanted to ask you about, now, we have all these MAGA candidates who have been extreme in their views for so long. And now as we're heading into the midterms, we're seeing that they're kind of walking back some of their extremism. And my question for you is, do you think voters are going to fall for it? So obviously, let's just go with abortion. You hear all these extreme ideas on how there should be, you know, extreme abortion bans, etc. Now all of a sudden, oh, well, well, maybe this and maybe that. They're, like they're trying to fool the voters. Do you think? And I, I'm, I'm thinking about what you're saying about the partisan stuff. And I imagine you're going to say, yeah, that comes into play. But um we're also talking about new, I guess, you know, young people, women who haven't been paying attention before. All of a sudden they're looking up. Are they falling for this? No, they're not looking up candidate platforms, guys. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like that's not happening, right? Um, here's the thing. So I'm less worried about Republicans being able to try triangulate away from their extremist positions. Mm-hmm. And people notice, you know, whether or not people will notice that. Mm-hmm. What I would try to get people to impress upon people is to understand that 80% of people don't even know about their extreme position, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, that's what the message is should be doing is is reminding voters. Candidate Smith is a Republican. The Republican Party wants to ban abortion everywhere. Yeah, that's it. Okay, right. doesn't right. have to be accurate. Doesn't have to be tied to a bill <sighs> to an initiative. Doesn't have to be because. Candidate Smith's on record saying it, or his website once said it, or does says it, or used to say it, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Every one of them, every one of them should be tied to a national abortion ban. You don't need to put 15 weeks in it. Mm-hmm. You don't need to talk about exceptions. Those are all marketing mirages that the right created anyway. So what we need to be doing is telling every voter in every one of these competitive races this Republican wants to ban abortion and kill women. That's the message that we should be taking to suburban America if we want to win the House. I laugh, but it's not funny. It's like when you say, and they want to kill women. Yeah, it's fucking true. They want to kill women. Yeah. But, uh, you know. Well, it, how did they get, the, Kimberly, how did they win the moral debates? They said we want to kill babies. Exactly. Right? They You're call exactly us baby right. Killers, right? <laughs> like, that, that's the world that we live in, right? Yeah. And I'm so uh, really excited about this new poll that came out today from NBC News and Mark Murray did this survey, the survey design. And uh, he's really a good pollster. I really trust his polling. But what I like about him is that I argue, look, 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 if you're testing your messaging, unless you're testing it in the, you're testing in a vacuum, right? Unless you can bring it out into the environment in which it's going to come up against the Republican regime, Mm -hmm. then you're going to see its inadequacies pretty fucking quick, right? (laughs) And so um, luckily, Mark Murray has tested the abortion, the messaging regime that we have, not just me, I mean, I'm trying to make it sound like I constructed this thing, but me and many other people have pushed this messaging revolution. And when he tested that messaging up against the Republican Party's messaging on inflation on gas and other things guess what we kick their ass right yeah so we really need people to to recognize 
You know, we we are not typical folks. So if we like an ad because it pulls on our heartstrings or whatever, like we are not the barometer. Yeah. Okay. The barometer is a person that does not, I, I'm working on my book. My book's coming out next year. It's called hit them where it hurts, how to beat Republicans at their own game and save democracy. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, you know, trying to quantify this, this, this feature of the American electorate that I've been trying to convey to you guys, which is that most Americans by you know the culture that we've created don't care and know anything mm-hmm. about their political system they yes. don't know anything now 50 percent of respondents in, in one survey i cite they they cannot name the three branches of government let yeah. alone explain how right. that shit works okay 50 yeah. percent of americans and that's yeah. a high by the way yeah that's a, actually a low i mean i mean right. to say right right 50 percent right. don't even know the three branches, the legislative, executive, and judicial branches right. cannot tell a survey re- researcher those three branches. Um, 40% cannot name one right guaranteed in the First Amendment. Wow. Okay, that's the population that we're working with. And granted, the folks that fall into these two buckets of naming the three branches and don't and not, probably also fall out pretty predictably in voting, non-voting, because mm-hmm. keep in mind, half of the eligible voter pool sits out even our most consequential yeah. elections. Yeah. So there's probably quite a bit of overlap there, but the electorate's working knowledge versus the American population mm-hmm. at large is not that much different, okay? We're still talking about massive knowledge deficits. So when we think about our messaging, we want to be doing the low-hanging fruit, mm-hmm. the most um, you know, intense emotive versions of that messaging we can possibly do. And we want to make sure that we understand the voters will only know the things about Republicans that we, in our messaging, take the time to make sure that they know. When you put up these ideas that you have and, and, and the facts that you have and messaging stuff, everything that you're all about. When, when you're talking to someone who is in charge of, you know, messaging, whether I don't, you know, I mean, I don't know who you talk to. I don't know what your daily life is like, but when you have the opportunity to get in front of people who are in charge of these bigger things, are, are you met with, oh my God, Rachel, your ideas are fucking fantastic. Or, or are, are you met with something different? Because I'm on the side of your your messaging is fucking fantastic. And I don't know why it's not implemented and used throughout the entire Democratic Party right now. Well, we are seeing quite a bit of implementation, right? I mean, that's why we're able to move this. It, it's, so here's the thing. This is what I would say. The messaging revolution and reform stuff that's coming from me and from others pushing mm-hmm. it through the system is really, really important. Mm-hmm. And it has given us the opportunity to compete in these midterms. But if you were to take away the row of this oration yes. and that shock, okay, it wouldn't be enough. It would be enough to kind of plant the seeds for the the reform that we needed for 24 to have a chance, yeah. <laughs> but it wouldn't have been enough, right? And I really want to stress that to people because I want them to understand almost all of this change that we're seeing is a product of that row of visceration. Mm-hmm. And the difference is now we have a regime in place, at least partially, that is able to capitalize on shit like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in 2017, 2018, there was this 
backlash effect to Trump and Democrats rode it to midterm mm-hmm. victories, but they didn't tap into it and make it even hotter. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference now that we're seeing. Okay. So I will tell you, we're very lucky. I think the Democratic Party tapped the Joe Biden, the president, tapped the right guy to run the DNC and Jamie Harrison. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're really starting to see the collective thrust of, of, of um, the modernization of our system and the benefits that that can entail us. Let's just hope it's enough to fight this fire that we're, we're facing now because we're really in a catastrophic mm-hmm. position, which is why I said, you know, spending money to elevate nut jobs and primaries is not a good expense unless their opponent who's slightly less nutty would still drop us into fascism, and in mm-hmm. which case it's a good expense, right? Right. That Yeah, that does make sense. Um, now, I also want to know, because we're seeing, we know what the blocks generally offer us. So young people, white women, usually young people aren't showing up to vote. White women oftentimes vote for Republicans. And so, you know, back to your con- or your argument that it's like p- people are voting based on partisan, just partisanship. Now, do you see this happening in 2022, uh, first, let's start with young people because we've got the gun issue, we've got climate, and we've got Roe, and then we've got white women, which is basically going to be Roe. So let's start with the young people. Do you think, I know that we're, like I said, we're seeing a lot of new uh, people signing up. Do you think this is flukish? Do you think this is something because of, I think, you know, I agree with you that Roe is really the the, the thing that pushes or is pushing people. But then we also, I know young people are really concerned about climate and they're concerned especially about guns and schools and massacres and all of that. Um, but do you think that this whole idea of these influx of voters and all of registers, all that, is it going to hold? And same with so you know, white women too. Tell somebody, let's say that you were running a congressional campaign, one of these swing races, these high and competitive races, and you're are asking me this question and I'd say listen you it's not just to talk about climate and guns it's and abortions to wedge them and wedging something is to make it intentionally partisan okay yeah, is to right. say hey young people the republicans are standing in the way of climate action first they killed the earth then they created this denialism hoax and now they're obstructing action so it's it is to directly angst specifically to the republican party so if we were to structure messaging for climate for guns and abortion like that to the under 30 crowd mm-hmm. i would be okay with by trifurcating the, the focus mm-hmm. out to those three buckets and mm-hmm. hitting all three but when it comes to that to your the rest of the voter file i don't care if it's man woman latino white black whoever mm-hmm. wedge row that is the yes. issue right now you should be wedging it 100 um i want to go back to you said joe biden tapped jamie harrison and it was a good idea there's a lot of people who are still critical of jamie i've seen it less because we have seen things improve but could you just go over why you think he was a good pick Well, let me explain it this way. It takes time to fix institutions and bureaucracies, lots of time, okay? So, you know, with both Biden and the Democrats in Congress and Jamie Harrison at the DNC, I think that when you don't appreciate institutional design, and I'm saying appreciate, I'm saying learn it, like Mm -hmm. understand how Mm -hmm. its mechanics work, Mm -hmm. then you understand that shit takes time. Merrick Garland's investigation was always going to take time. Mm -hmm. And I always was able to speak confidently about my confidence that 
the rule of law would prevail in America, mm -hmm. even if I couldn't see any activity because I mm -hmm. understand how the mechanics of our justice system work. Such is the same for the DNC and for the other aspects that we're seeing through the system. You don't wave a magic wand and reform stuff. If people think that the party is in better position now than it was one year ago, they should be looking at Jamie Harrison to thank. Good point. Um, okay, so this is my last question. As we move forward, I mean, hopefully, 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 Democrats will win the House and the Senate. So when we move forward, obviously, more attention needs to be put on the state houses and the local elections. And I think, you know, the Roe v. Wade decision illustrates that perfectly because in all of the, you know, they say states' rights. So if you're allowed to have an abortion in a red state, then you're allowed to have an abortion if they strike it down. Um, at least with states' rights. And, um, and then, of course, there's just the importance of local elections, whether it's school boards or whatever. And I know that for the longest time, the Koch brothers, and there's only one now, but still, uh, re you know, Republicans are spending all this money on local elections, and Democrats yeah. have not done that. And that is to our detriment. And so moving forward, what do you think is the, you know, advice for listeners who are, you know, there's leaders... And then there's there's the voters. So what what would you say to leaders and what would you say to voters about house races moving forward? I mean, my my message has always been very clear. You know, it, we, we have observed. I mean, I'm not the first person to be able to list all of the inadequacies of our in institutional response to what the Republicans have spent 20 years building. Whether mm -hmm. it's Alec, which serves as a model legislative hub, and you. Know, know, stand your ground and all this shit that the Republicans do comes out of ALEC or the Federalist Society and Judicial Watch taking the courts and politicizing the courts um, or the state, you know, um, legislative stuff, which was, you know, a product of a, a strategic initiative five years before the 2010 cycle, which was like, hey, mm -hmm. in the 2010 redistrict, let us manipulate the maps in such a way as to enhance our representation in these state legislatures, right? Mm -hmm. So the point of this is, it, you know, it, we've spent 20 years observing them invest in the system and build all of these infrastructures to you know, take us to the brink of collapsing democracy. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, it's a, it's on us, the onus is on us, each of us to say, which part of this can I finally get going? And, and mm -hmm. I can speak now with some, like a, I think moral, like a whatever, standing on this because I said, look, our messaging coming on election night of 2020, I was like, oh my God, we lost 14 fucking mm -hmm. seats with the best fundamentals yeah. you could ever ask for. Right. And a, literally a crazy man, incumbent yeah. and president, who's killing 3,000 people a day and a Republican party sitting on a piece of legislation in the Senate called the Heroes Act. Mm -hmm. You gave me those fundamentals and I guarantee you I'm winning those House races. Yeah. So I said, I've got to find a way directly, indirectly, I, I mean, I went indirectly at first to, to move messaging in a way that's, that is modernizing it to, 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 ours is still stuck in this framework of persuasion versus mobilization. The GOP doesn't even do that, right? Their ads are branding ads mm -hmm. that both both mobilize and, pers and persuade, and they do that because what their persuasion is, again, not trying to win swing voters over, it's trying to push them away from us, right? right. So getting that done, you know, it, it, you know, it's certainly me and the others that embarked to do it, 
it, it's it's an upward battle but there's we must start so if you are a person that can go and work on this courts system we need a judicial watch for the left we need a federalist society in all of mm -hmm. our law schools mm -hmm. you know um advocating for constitutional interpretations that's that isn't based on a stupid theory okay originalism is stupid it's a stupid theory <laughs> and we but you know if kids in in law school are are brought up into a system like the federalist society you know we we can't we can't just unilaterally disarm in other words and and the time to start is like now okay we didn't start last year we didn't start 10 years ago we didn't start 20 years ago and if we had we would not be in this position there's yeah. no one arguing that but that is not an excuse to not start right yeah. now right wow well you know talking to you is always so important in my opinion you have a, like I, I said in the intro you have a fresh perspective on things and we need that perspective and I just I'm really looking forward to your book when is it coming out the book drops in 2023 so it will be in time to assist people with um and this is all, everyone down from voters individual voters and americans all the way up to campaign strategists on how best to, to wage war electoral war in the modern era very cool i'm definitely looking forward that i will have you back i'm going to be reading that book and i wish i could read it right now <laughs> but i hope your mom hangs <laughs> over her your head all the time that she, she was does. right about me <laughs> Uh, well, she, you know, I mean, I remember she was just like, you have to read this. You have to read this. This is really great. You have to follow her. So, yeah, she and she's very much a political junkie. It's funny, though, because you talk about um, the people who aren't paying attention. And everything. I was one of those people. My mother was always paying attention. So I always had an understanding. And she is a very smart person. And, you know, like in school, she was literally had a full time job in the car business and then went to college and full-time and had a 4.0 grade point average so i mean ah, the, the woman is really smart tell her tell her <laughs> i did the same i i worked oh, wow. full-time my whole time as an undergrad you know wow. and it was uh unpleasant but it was <laughs> yes. nice because i got to, i was the only person that found my phd program to be a relaxing experience so. <laughs> Well, well, she got even, she got accepted into law school and then she's like, eh, I don't want it. So, um, but you know, she, <laughs> that's my mom. But anyway, um, yeah, so I'm going to definitely look forward to reading your book. I'm really excited about that. But before I let you go, like always tell everybody where to find you. Yeah, follow me on Twitter at Rachel Bittekoffer. You can also listen to my pod. I have some great guests on there. Mallory McMurrow was a recent guest. And I know people love her, and it's all about messaging <laughs> state and local. So um, that's at the cycle on Substack, and there are free options to listen. You don't need to subscribe. Please don't subscribe to my Substack unless you have um, discretionary money to waste. <laughs> and you said that's called the cycle because you went out just for a second. So the cycle. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the cycle on, on Substack. Substack. Okay, cool. Also, well, you can find me on. Twitter author Kimberly L-E-Y at the end of my name my books are on Amazon Rachel I adore you I think you're awesome so thank you for once again coming on and you know just telling us all everything that you know so thank you so much thanks for having me take care bye 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 bye